Welcome aboard, Captain. Welcome back to the Wrath of Khan Minute, the semi-daily podcast where we talk about and tell Uhura to please stand by in Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan, one minute at a time. I'm David Stoker. And I'm Chris LaSalle. Hey, Chris. Dave, how are you? Good. We are joined once again by John Engel and Mitch Bryan from AlienMinute.com. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us back. Good to be here. And we are on to... Tension-filled minute 62 with starts with McCoy and Kirk lowering bodies to the ground and ends with Savick saying, please stand by, out. So the awesome Kirk push-in was in the last minute. It was, yes. Ah, uh, well, we, we kind of missed if we should say one thing, that he looks really good. Just one <laughs> more time. Just one <laughs> more time. We give Shatner little props. Jeez, Mitch. Awesome Jeez. shot. <laughs> I think you and Shatner need to get a room, Mitch. I know. Jeez. I know. <laughs> Only thing I didn't get was that, you know, that shiny green dress uniform top, well, the wraparound top. He didn't have that in this movie. But... <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it got a little weird, I guess. We had to go there. All right. Um, so, yeah, we, so, start, we start this minute off with... Uh, Kirk and McCoy lowering the bodies down and uh, McCoy informing Kirk that uh, rigor hasn't set in and that this couldn't happen, have happened long ago. So they are yeah. hot on the trail of whoever did this. So now what this is Kirk would... doing up there? Like he's got one hand. Is he like a human pulley? Because... I think so. I, th I think that's what he's doing. Yeah. And then something squeaking too. <laughs> that's Kirk. Which is so weird. I know. <laughs> Because I was trying to see that left hand. I was I was looking at it like, is he, has he got the rope back there? He must. But it's a really weird, awkward kind of... He doesn't look as good in that shot. <laughs> yeah, I always, thought it, I always thought it made him look pretty tough. He's no, I'm just one, kidding. It's a really cool rope. up angle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch simply felt bad no. for saying something bad about it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. No, no. One thing always takes me out of this, this, this scene is... is the fact that they're using rope, right, to lower them down, it seems so low tech. Um, although it does, it does certainly look very cool doing it. Um, but then also, you see that puddle of blood on the ground, and I don't know, it looks really fake to me. It does, yeah. Um, when we hear what really happened to these guys, you know, not to jump ahead, but if they all got their throats cut, it would be a mess in there. Yeah, it'd be it, gore, right? Yeah, everywhere. Be blood everywhere. Be blood everywhere. Even that shot, the scare shot of the guy hanging upside down, it's pretty clean. I'm not not trying to be a gore hound here, but I don't know, you know. I mean I I sometimes wonder about the whether there would have been a better way, if they want a shock factor, maybe they should, you know, maybe there would be a better way to to address this whole thing rather than all of the skulking around and running for from rats, you know, maybe they should have just beamed down and you know they d reacted to what they saw which are all these guys hanging there upside down and just get to it because you're still going to get another shock anyway when we 
when we find Chekhov. So right, right. But yeah, I agree with you. It's 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 pretty clean and kind of fakey. Yep. I don't One know. Things... I think, sorry, I I think it, it's fine. <laughs> like I, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking about all that, and that's that's like ideal in one sense to have more gore or to have more brutality, like uh, more brutal imagery. But this is this is still Star Trek. Roddenberry's still alive. <laughs> we're still in this. I mean, we're we're only a couple of steps removed from the show. I I don't know if we want to go that far. Uh, with it, I like I said when we when they find the guy hanging there, that's a shocker. It still shocks me. I don't need it to be realistic. I just no. the, just the idea behind it is fine for me. But what I'm suggesting is that maybe that shock and the guy hanging upside down that you know that whole gimmick is a really cheap scare. And I wonder whether there isn't a way to give everybody their due a little bit more dramatically. And that's just my case. It's like I can see the you know how would Spielberg do it? They would they would beam in, they would beam down, materialize. The camera would move in on them. They'd be looking up, right? You do the up the nose, looking at a dinosaur shot, and then you reveal these guys just hanging there, and that had been ten times as terrifying. They could have done it in three shots and, and moved on, um, and and had and given a little bit more humanity to it instead of reducing it to this cheap boo scare. Yeah, so you're that's, probably right about that. But yeah. As far as the blood, uh, it can look pretty fake for me. I don't need arterial blood or anything, but yeah. you're probably right about the pacing of the scene and how the how this is revealed. I think you're probably right about that. So uh, w- one interesting thing there is a there's a there was a cut scene here um, where you know we don't really they don't really do we don't get anything about the victims we don't anything any any know any of the names uh, or anything it's just four guys. Um, but uh, the cut scene that uh, Kirk makes a comment that even uh, even the galley chief was murdered, um, and uh, implying that you know mm-hmm. this, that the galley chief probably didn't know anything about what was going on in the station, and I think it was meant to really emphasize that Khan is just you know he's a madman which we know, and but it just kind of emphasizes the point that he's just he's killing everybody looking for the information that he wants. Right. Yeah, that would have been good. How did you know? Is there are there extras somewhere deleted scenes that I that on a disc or there is yeah there's a there's a book uh alan asherman uh it's got a, a making of star trek 2 so we use that for uh for some reference material oh cool yeah i think that's a, that's an interesting point um it, it's it's interesting that they cut that out but the interesting point to me that she just made was or the thing that she said that was interesting was that he's a he's a madman con's a madman yeah uh, he's a maniacal villain at this point which actually, um, look, if you go all the way back to Space Seed, where we would have originally known uh, Khan from, I, he's not so much in that show. Um, in that episode in particular, he's more fish-out-of-water, duplicitous, scheming, uh, willing to do a lot to get his position back. But all things that are motivated by you know, some level of humanity. And, and, you know, they humanize him a great deal by the end of the episode with his relationship with MacGyvers and so on. So he's actually an interesting villain there. Sometimes you kind of feel for Khan in in the show, in the television episode Space Seed, where here they've shifted him entirely to completely insane, willing to slaughter anybody in his path. And I think that's great. It's a, it's a nice move. We get, to me, I didn't really think about it so much until the next minute when, when, the captain actually talks about he slit everybody's search when he actually says that 
it's like man picturing that scene that scene happening is insane you right. know that would be such a rough scene and we don't need it we just need the suggestion of it but it really changes the dynamic of 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 Khan's character i think although there's that one scene in the tv show um when he grabs macgyver's by the hand and forces her down to her knees after he said um stay or go and now you have to ask me to stay and so then she asks and then he i mean it's a really distressing scene still it's really creepy yeah, that, oh, yeah, it is a, a rough scene to watch i agree yeah oh, he's definitely a misogynist there's no doubt he was gonna have her be submissive to him now he's i mean i'm not saying Khan was ever a good guy but he just has, it was just a different makeup to his character between the movie and that episode. When you when you all saw the movie, had you seen like could you remember that show or or like because I know in '82, um, they hadn't been in syndication for a long time, and so it was I didn't remember Space Seed very as well because it had been a long time since I'd seen it. I just wonder. Yeah, I didn't know that until after, probably well after, um, I had seen the movie that I knew that he was from, you know, uh, actually on the show. So that was all yeah, new to I, me. Right. Same here. I had watched all the shows, like, as a, a little kid uh, and never really, you know, none of those, all, all the major characters stayed with me, right? But none of the yeah, none none of the, the villains or bad guys, none of those just stuck. Um, and I was 11 when this came out. And uh, so, no, I only knew that, well, obviously they met him before, but I don't think I... I even knew that there was an episode related to this. Right, yeah. Was it exciting when you caught back up to that episode and like watched it, you know, retroactively? Oh, it definitely was. I, I remember yeah. I remember seeking it out specifically, like, you know, I gotta see that episode that he was in to see what this was all about. And I remember being struck by I think what you guys were just talking about, which was um yeah, he was a different type of character. Obviously mm -hmm. he had the super ego, right, that went with his super intellect and strength. Um, but he wasn't a he wasn't he wasn't crazy. He was just. Uh, uh, well, I think 15 years being marooned on a planet and oh, will yeah. probably do that to a dude. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So, so just moving forward a little bit, um, we cut to Uhura uh, and now we get to hear what Uhura is saying. Uh, yeah. And she basically is saying the same phrase over and over again. Yes. You know, this is the Enterprise calling Space Lab, regular one, respond, please. And we didn't talk about it much in the prior minute, but the tricorder beep has been this kind of tension builder going on in the background. Yeah. Um, and uh, which, you know, you guys are here from, from, from Alien. They, 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 I think they mastered it in Alien and Aliens with the, you know, the, the trackers, right, as far as building tension up goes. Um, but I, I, I chuckled to myself watching this minute. I'm like, oh, Ahura herself is another tension builder because um, – it, it's just it's driving me nuts listening to her <laughs> yeah like will somebody talk to me please yeah it still feels like busy work they've given ahura to me i still don't quite understand uh why well, she's, she's droning on and on and on and they're just ignoring her it, it i don't know it's it's very strange and it reminds me so i i don't know if you guys have you ever i've, I've listened to the show but i can't recall if you've ever talked about some of the um things in the movie that mirror things from the episode, the, the space seed. And uh, one of the things that happens, there's a couple of things in this minute that remind me of that, that episode. And one of them is when they find the botany bay at the beginning of that episode, Ahura, it's, it's sending out a beacon of Morse code. 
and she's getting it. And then, you know, she's the communications officer. So this is her moment to come through with some info. And she says, hey, right. it's Morse code. And they go, yeah, 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 we know. And then she starts <laughs> and then she starts to read it off, what it's saying. And she gets about halfway through it. And Kirk turns around and goes, yeah, we got it. Yeah, he shuts her down. It's, it's so just, mean. It's really weird. And it's almost exactly what happens here. They're like, call in, call in. We'll ignore you. We'll ignore you. And then when we finally acknowledge, we're just like, yeah, shut up. We're busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get there. That's an and that that's an amazing moment. I have <laughs> I have thought about that. I have a thought about that. Yeah, she hasn't got much love in this film so far. We've been kind of joking around, giving her a hard time that she's not doing the greatest job as being communication officer. Uh, but yeah, she's not. <laughs> she's she's, not getting love she's all putting her all in these last two minutes here. She is making sure that they know that she's contacting regular one, and <laughs> well, Spock, she wants someone and, to and respond. Spock is, yeah, Spock is just standing there, like hovering over her, like do your job. Yeah. Exactly. I think he's 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 like her, her taskmaster. They're like, yeah, keep doing it. Stay busy. Mr. Spock I didn't think about that this. until you said that, but that is totally what that is. He's like, I'm gonna stand here and watch you rake those leaves until every leaf is picked up. <laughs> oh, poor Aurora. You know, no. she just doesn't really. This is getting way ahead, but she just doesn't really get hers until the sixth movie. It takes that long for her to get any, well, there's a little bit in the third one, I guess, but I I always feel for her. She's just, doesn't have a lot to do, even though they keep making her do stuff. That's probably not necessary to do. Right, right. I think that's the trouble. Yeah. Uh, So we, uh, so we shift back to regular one and uh, Savick has found something. She calls out to McCoy and the Admiral and they, they cross the room. Which uh, I got, I got to say, I love this shot from uh, overhead shot, yeah. and how you can definitely see like Kirk and McCoy get up. They start to make their way around this, you know, the science lab and how the camera comes in uh, low and then meets them all on the other side. I, I, I won't pretend that I'm a, you know, filmographer or, a, you know, cinematographer, but I absolutely just love the way they did this shot. This is this, this is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really sweet. It's a crane shot, so it starts up high, and it and it just glides down, and then it's just in perfect concert with those people moving in, and then, you know, it gets to that position when they're all in the same position and they're fiddling with the knobs and everything, and Kirk throws the first punch of the movie, and that's all in one. They're like no, there's no cut. It is so sweet. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is almost the converse of what we were talking about in the last minute, as far as the set, um, maybe using obstructive. Uh, design in the set to offset some of the cheaper, you know, some of the budgetary restraints. This is almost like they're still doing that with that big blue thing in the yeah. middle of the room. But a shot like this is typically, I mean, what, what it reminds me of is like a reverse Gone with the Wind shot where you're showing off what you got. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny because it almost gives you the feeling like, oh, yeah, this is a great set when it's swooping across it. You know, it's a little bit different than the last minute. But right. It, it's nice because it's 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 bra- it's kind of a bragging braggadocious shot, but still they're obstructing your vision and making sure you don't see any of the cheaper elements of the set. It works really well to to give it some more scope. Yeah, it's really great. It, it, it's really a, a beautiful shot. I also like when they get over to the other side and you know Savix found whatever that she's found, and Kirk just immediately pushes her out of the way. I got it from here. Yeah. I'll, I'll take over. Oh yeah, this is a real Kirky moment for sure. And it's Isn't another. It though? Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
No, I, I totally agree. That's what I, my, my, my notes were. This is a classic Kirk impulse. Like he's playing with the buttons for like a, a second and he's like, screw it. I'm just going to punch the hell out of it and break this thing and open it. And do you see them react? Both Savage yeah. and Bones just jump. And it's really like, it's good. Either they're really selling it or actually he really startled them. But it's, it's pretty nice. And this is another direct correlation to the original, the, to the space seed, because this is exactly how he frees Khan from the cryo chamber. When when the cryo chamber is kind of short circuiting and they think he's going to die, uh, it's a glass, you know, it's got a glass front on it, and Kirk just punches right through it and pulls him out of the cryo chamber. So nice. you know, it's another direct link visually, and then of course a character moment where we just it just makes sense. Kirk's not going to mess around too long before he punches something. <laughs> uh this next shot with when the crate opens uh i still remember it it, it bothers me today because i think because it bothered me when i was 11 because when that crate opens and you see Chekhov, yeah i, I was i was sure he was dead like the f <laughs> I, you can't really tell because of the lighting but it looks to me like his eyes are rolled up in his head or something that's it's what like, i was thinking like you definitely it's almost like you can see the whites of his eyes and it's yeah your panic because you're like, oh, oh, he he's dead. Yeah, why would he shove him in a in a crate? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I can't tell if I can see the white of his. You're right. It looks exactly like you can. Is he just tr like tranced out right now? Is that what this, we're supposed to think? It's it's think very so. bizarre. But yeah, I I can't remember this moment from when I first saw it. But boy, I could see that you got that arm flopping out. You've just seen a whole bunch of dead people. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. So do you think they were uh, – do you think Khan stuns them to sell it? So he purposely, like, knocks them out, shoves them in the crate, doesn't tell them and just sort of, you know, just to sell the whole the whole reveal that, you know, that they're still, uh, you know, working for him. No, I think he can tell them to do the performance and they'll do it. I don't think he has to do anything to them. He can say, all right, guys, you're going to act like you're real stunned and you're going to say all these things about how – I mean, it's the next minute, but you're going to say all these things about how uh, you got the best of me and you didn't do it. You know, all this stuff, I think, is just programmed in to, by suggestion because they'll have to do anything he says. Yeah, I'll buy that. I, I was wondering that myself, uh, but you're right. Um, I, th I think that's probably exactly what it is. Get in the box. <laughs> <laughs> so I have my notes. Do we go back to Uhura before the reveal or is it right at, is it after that? Right after. Right after that. Yeah, right after. Okay. Right. Yeah, and that's when when Savic shuts her down, right? And I noticed that. Yeah, and and there's I noticed that in that shot, unlike Spock standing over her before, it's actually kind of a they give it a little Dutch angle, and it looks like kind of there's kind of some tension in that shot, and it, it almost looks like maybe Ahura's going to win, you know, and then <laughs> and then she gets and then she gets shut down, and the look on her face, it's like you wonder what was happening in the space station. Was Kirk? Did Kirk just look over at Savic and go to tell her to shut up? Because it's, well, it's wicked. <laughs> Ahura has, she has, there's three stages of her performance here. Savik calls and she goes, oh, somebody's calling. And then it's it's Savik and she goes, why is it Savik? And then Savik's like, shut up, basically. And she's like, huh? <laughs> it's this three stages of, oh, somebody's finally calling. Why is it Savik? And then why did she just tell me to shut up, basically? Oh, poor Ahura. Yeah, but you're right, Mitch. They kind of set her up. They kind of set her up yeah. to fail with the way this is framed. And yeah, yeah. One of the things that I would have liked to have seen in this shot, just uh, with, with the reveal when they open the crate, um, is 
Kirk looks at it's Terrell first. He looks at Terrell because like, Terrell must be yeah. facing him, even though he's off camera. And you know, he he turns. You know, then he looks down and sees would have seen Chekhov second, but they cut away. And you would have, th- I would have thought his reaction would be even more dramatic, right? Because Terrell, he might not have even known. Just well, like, he's oh, never God, met him this because he's pro- we know yeah. Terrell has says, you know, I've never even met Admiral Kirk. Right, that's right. So you know, it's one thing to see some dude in a crate. Oh, that's a bummer. But then he turns and looks and sees Chekhov, this guy he's known for years. I, I would, have, I would have liked to have seen the that the payoff of that to see his reaction of of what that would have looked like. But he does say, "Oh my God!" Right? Yeah. So at least we get that. You know, that shot always reminded me of um, in the movie Halloween. There's a dead body shoved into a closet. Oh, yeah. Oh. And I think it's framed right, just like that. I think it's framed almost identically. And it's just so funny. It's Again, we're kind of, for that one second, we're back to the horror movie, you know, that we yeah, were in. I, I, I can't wait ago. till we get past these minutes. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a horror movie guy. I mean, I love, like, Alien and Aliens for the movies they are, but... They still give me the the they scare the bejesus out of me, and I. <laughs> I, and I, I suppose that's the case that gets made for the for why they did it this way for these these couple of minutes because it's a totally different tonality from the entire rest of the movie. I mean, I mean, it's I guess it's kind of scary when the bug gets put in his in their ears, but <laughs> but um, but this is like real full on kind of horror movie language system, and then and then we move kind of back and get back into the movie again. Right. Right. Actually, guys, that, that that makes me. I've been dying to ask, and you guys requested these minutes, and uh, I was I was wondering, was there a particular reason why you requested these minutes? Well, Is it because uh, of the vibe we're getting here? Yeah, I think it's part of it. It was partially that shot of the Kirk reveal from the last minute that was just in my head, and it's uh, thinking, oh, that was such a big moment to me and my love of Star Trek, but. Um, partially it is because this is a little bit closer to what we're doing, I guess. These minutes are closer to what Alien is. They, you know, for one thing, they're on a ship. There's menace about, you know, there's jump scares. There's horror lang- movie language going on. There's creatures so, inside of people. There are, there are yeah. creatures inside of people. <laughs> True, yeah. Actually, that's, good point. <laughs> that's awesome. I didn't even think of that part. But, yeah, yeah I, was, uh, I, was, I was wondering aloud, and then, uh, you know, so I, was, I was prepping for these minutes, too. And, like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of elements here. I mean, I think right now... Uh, as we're recording this, you guys are uh, on your show are talking about uh, the hunt, right? Where they're hunting for the chestburster. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and they've got the tracker, and you know, there's 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 some similarities in in, in the in the two in the in some of the scenes here, and uh, so I was like, oh, maybe that's why they asked for it. I'll tell you, the Enterprise has much better engineers than the Nostromo does, though. <laughs> I mean, as great as Brett is, he ain't no Scotty. <laughs> That is true. <laughs> I, I won't argue with you there, Mitch. All right. Well, did you guys have anything else for minute 62? I'm all out. I did. There was one thing I wanted to bring up from earlier in the minute, and I kind of wanted to hear what Mitch had to say about it from a screenwriting perspective. Uh, it's just a little moment, but I didn't think it should go ignored. When After Kirk has lowered the bodies down and, you know, McCoy gives us the rigor, the rigor mortis line, Kirk looks around and he just mum- utters Carol. Yeah. Right. Oh. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's a very kind of a pivotal moment in Kirk's character here, in a way, or it's at least um, a signpost for what they're doing with his character. And that when in the past, when we've watched Kirk uh, in the the series, and I guess in the motion picture, 
He's always been captain of the ship, man about business, and his agency is typically uh, crew and ship, right? Where the ship is, he's married to the sea, you know, sort of. He's a philanderer and all that, but in the end, he's married to the sea. And uh, in in this particular case, they're they're slowly building. We've gotten a couple of hints at, at a deep emotional relationship between him and Carol Marcus, but here we have him really acknowledge it. And I think it's an interesting moment where his agency is kind of fully, you know, cemented in his concern. It's now be, there's now Kirk, the family man, hinted at, and and that's the direction that his character is starting to take. Which then this movie, more than any of the movies in the series, I think has more personal stakes for Kirk, which is one of the reasons why it's one of, one of the best ones. But right, uh, Mitch, would you say would you agree with that? What I'm saying there? Yeah, I would. Totally. I think it's I think it's hard for us to be exactly in his head at this moment. And that's what makes it kind of interesting. He says it and we kind of think, oh, yeah, like we know there's some kind of a connection thing there. And it just echoes it. It just calls our attention to it. But it comes and goes very quickly. But I guess his thought process process is I looked over all of these bodies and none of them are Carol. Therefore, Carol isn't here. Therefore, what happened to Carol? Right. Right. But I would I would even think that an earlier incarnation of Kirk would have been more concerned with Genesis than any of the people involved. I think that's one of the differences we're seeing here. Yeah, for sure. Because he knows he knows he also knows about the kid. Yeah. So that's I, I just think that's a this is a big shift in Star Trek, I think, actually, not this it, not necessarily this one moment, but it just happened right. to happen in this minute. And uh, I think it was a point where the screenwriters thought we need to remind the audience not only that uh, Carol and, and, you know, Dr. Marcus and her son were here and they've left and, and they're not one of the bodies. We need to be reminded of that. But we, we need to attach that agency to Kirk uh, even stronger now. Yeah. Earlier in the movie. um you know, Kirk, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, Dr. McCoy jokingly, you know, brings up, you know, Carol Marcus and he, he even has like a negative reaction of, you know, you know, the, yeah, as a doctor, you know, about opening old wounds and, um, you know, you get a sense that things did not end very well between him and Dr. Marcus. And, uh, you know, you just see sort of the sentimentality of his character caring, you know, you know, I, I took it as like, you know, yeah, he was, he was concerned for, for her well-being more than, you know, that she's not here. You know, it was more of like, you know, Carol, you know, it was a silent moment to himself. Yeah. And there's another moment too, that, and again, going back, but uh, I do love this, this thread Um, right after they watch the, or when they start watching the, um, the Genesis um, proposal uh, when they're in Kirk's quarters. And uh, as the video spins up, uh, Spock just comments, he's like, Oh, Carol Marcus. And, and Kirk just, you know, kind of to himself, he just kind of says almost under his breath, he's like, yes. Yeah. You know, and there's like, there's so much in that one word, the way he says it, that, you know, you, yeah, you know more, there's volumes, more history between there's volumes the two, there. Yeah. yeah, more history to the, between the two of them than we may not be privy to at this moment. Yeah. Well, I think it, it's interesting, too, now that you mentioned the two times, you know, the one time that Bones brings her up, where then we establish that Bones knows who she is. Yeah. Strangely insensitive. I mean, he realizes immediately how insensitive he was. Maybe right, he assumed yeah. Kirk had gotten over it more than he had. And then Spock, of course, isn't going to have any emotional attachment to it. So he's just like, oh, I recognize that face. That's her. I remember that the name of that woman, you know, and, and but 
it's cool because that's cool because we are so strongly uh, attached to the, the to the triumvirate of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy that uh, it's nice to see that this emotional uh, thing for Kirk is shared by his two closest allies as well. So I think that even strengthens the relationship more and gives us a hint that there must have been a lot going on back then that everybody would be privy to it. It wasn't just a one-off relationship. It's something that he probably shared feelings with these guys, or at least with Bones, and then Spock happened to see her around sometimes, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with that. Yep. She, she was not a she was not a fling, and you can just tell by right. everyone's reaction to her. And I think we, we obviously talked about it way back when. I mean, we know who David is, and do, do you think the other two know? Do we know Kirk knows that who David is? I think, yeah, Kirk does know. But I don't think Bones knows. I definitely don't think Spock knows. Yeah. I don't yeah. think if Bones would have known about David, he wouldn't have made that joke. That's right. what I think. I agree. I think you're right. Yeah. Yep. But this really is, in my estimation, the most human of all of the Star Trek movies. I mean, this thing just, it just has so much interpersonal charm and interpersonal tension, whether it's the, whether it's the interpersonal thing between the hero and the villain, and then all of the other relationships that spin out of that. And I guess that's why I like this one so much. So much more than all of the others. It just towers above them because it's just so human. Yeah, we've we've talked briefly about, like, Spock in particular has sort of a journey through these movies. And I I think it's, yeah, it's it's great to see, like, how he evolves and how his relationship evolves and then devolves with Jim and McCoy through the course of the, you know, the six movies. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of the this is the end. This really is the end of the old Star Trek. I mean, it's its own, it's its own rebooting or its own rebirth after this movie. Right. It's never going to be the same Spock. It's never going to be that same triumvirate. Yeah, I do think though that uh, six does come the closest to uh, grasping onto the humanity of Star Trek again. It does it in different ways. It takes it from different angles, but it's not a coincidence that it was Nicholas Meyer that made that one too. I think that we probably have our culprit as to who was responsible for for finding these aspects and these characters. And I think him being an outsider, uh, not a Trek guy, was probably very helpful to that. He wasn't as interested in the business of Star Trek as he was in finding the the heart of the characters and and writing a good story around that. So um, that's why those two, those two movies to me stand out. Did he have a hand in four, too? I can't remember. Was he a story credit, or was there something? I think he was a story credit in three, I think. He might have been right. He might be right about four. I might be mixing those up, but I thought, sure he, was, I thought he was supposed to come back and direct, and it didn't work out, and Nimoy took over for three. But um, I might be remembering that wrong. Actually, he was a screenplay credit for uh, Voyage Home, uh, screenplay credit and directing for six. Okay, then. Yeah, you're right. Four is pretty human, too. I like that one as well. Yeah. I mean, it's like kind of a comedy episode, but it's good. (laughs) It ain't no piece of the action, but it's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, with that, gentlemen, uh, uh, John and Mitch, you want to share where folks can find you online? Sure. You can find us at alienminute.com, or you can subscribe to our podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. That's the Alien Minute podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Alien Minute Pod or on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast. Awesome. 
Great. And you can find us online. We're also on Twitter at WOK Minute. We're on Instagram as well. And you can join the Rathacon uh, Minute Listener Federation on Facebook if you want to uh, uh, continue the conversation about these minutes or talk about Star Trek in general. And uh, we will be back here again on Friday with, uh, with Minute 63 of Star Trek II uh, here at the Rathacon Minute. Thanks, guys.